This podcast is intended for mature audiences and could be triggering to some. Please use discretion while listening. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to take a look at narcissistic personality disorder. This disorder is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, and lack empathy for others. Behind this mask of extreme confidence lies a fragile self-esteem that's vulnerable to the slightest criticism. And narcissistic personality disorder causes problems in many areas of life, such as relationships, work, school, or financial affairs. People with this disorder may be generally unhappy and disappointed when they're not given the special favors or admiration they believe they deserve. They may find their relationships unfulfilling, and others may not enjoy being around them. When it comes to dating a narcissist, they don't go by the usual rules of dating. They are so focused on winning you over that they speed everything up and increase the intensity. It's a bit like dating on adrenaline. Everything that a normal couple does in the course of a year, they do in the first few dates. Narcissists rarely stop to assess whether the two of you are really a good match. One of the cruelest courtship strategies that some narcissists use to reel in a new lover involves making elaborate and detailed plans with you for a future life together. This type of manipulation is known as future faking. Future faking is a courtship strategy in which narcissists talk to you in elaborate detail about all the wonderful things that the two of you are going to do together in the future. The cute little restaurant that you're going to absolutely love, how the two of you are going to explore the most romantic cities in the world together, or even how many children the two of you will have and what their names will be. All the while, they sound very enthusiastic and sincere. What makes it future faking and not just planning for a future is that none of this is likely to ever happen. Instead of being on the road to bliss, you're now on the road to disappointment. What usually occurs is that shortly after a narcissist believes that you are fully committed and in love with them, everything starts to change. Now that the chase is over, the good times diminish. Narcissists are not very good at sustaining a normal relationship. When dating, they created positive relationship drama. Now, they start creating negative relationship drama. Instead of praising you, they start pointing out all of your flaws. If you stay in the relationship, you are likely to be devalued, ignored, or discarded. Future faking is cruel because it is exactly what it sounds like. A big fake. Unfortunately, what initially brought you great happiness is now likely to end up as a series of traumatic disappointments. I'm Rachel Meadowcroft, and you're listening to It Doesn't End Here. Well, Kay, I think it's safe to say that you can win an award for maybe the worst your first year of dating somebody, where are all of the you know, romantic evenings and date nights and weekend getaways or maybe vacations? You know, Did you do anything that was normal or was everything the business? 
there was none. That's the thing is our relationship was this business and our business, the business was our relationship. It was, there was no separation from that. It was just immediately, I just dove right into, sure, I will freaking start this crazy journey with you. When really that's something, you know, someone does when they're married or already married and then you decide together, Hey, should we start this? You know, as opposed to someone already have starting it and me jumping in on it the first month of knowing him. So it just wasn't a normal situation all around. So you were in a hotel end of 2018 waiting for money to come through to move out of the hotel. So what was going on with the business at this time? We didn't end up getting that initial meeting. The investors that we pitched to did not invest. But like I said, we were in the talks of another personal individual person that wanted to invest their own money. You know, in the meantime, like I said, we were looking at places to live. We had gone and seen a couple of places, townhomes in the same area, farther away from the beach, which they were still nice and obviously more affordable the farther out you go. The bigger they are, the more affordable they are. So my birthday is in January. And I don't think it was on my exact birthday night, but we did have a dinner planned and we had six people coming. <laughs> this was all a big clusterfuck because we're trying to get this investor's money in. At the same time, we're trying to get into this house that we wanted and applied for and went and looked at and had to schmooze our way in there because at the time, you know, he had to really just tell these people like, oh, I started this business, so I'm encumbered this much money. So it looks like I can't afford it, but I really can. And so we had to like really, I guess, trick our way into getting into a house out of the hotel. That's happening while we're trying to get this investor money in. And he's at the bank trying to get this money into the bank so we can have some sort of income and go to this dinner for my birthday while he's also trying to get into this house. And that same day while he's at the bank, apparently, and this is his story. And now looking back, who knows what the real situation was, but he had said they backed out on letting us have this place, even though they'd already you know, said, yes, they, we all agreed. And he, his story was he was at the bank and he was trying, he was like, Hey, I'm at the bank. I'm getting you this information that you want right now. And they're saying, no, they, we decided to go another way. I don't know if that's true or not. I have no idea. I wasn't there. Hmm. If they, if you're, if you're approved, then you should, yeah. that shouldn't have been the case. Yeah. So chances are maybe it was all a lie. Maybe he never really got into the right. house. Yeah. I don't know. So it's my birthday dinner night. A couple hours before, I don't even know if we can go to this dinner. I was fully prepared to be like, make up an excuse as to why we couldn't even go because I didn't know if we were even going to have money to go. And we ended up being able to, we got the money and we were able to pay ourselves a little bit, which was the first time in a whole year that we had like a pretty good amount of money in the bank. So it's all just like, my adrenaline is crashing. I'm trying to enjoy my birthday. But I knew all this crazy situation was happening. So anyway, we get to go to dinner and he pays for the entire dinner party, which was obviously very nice. But if you can just imagine my mentality of like, okay, a couple hours ago, we weren't even going to be able to come to this dinner and now we're paying for the whole freaking table. So most times I felt like fraud, honestly. 
I, what was I going to do? Like, what was I going to say? I wasn't contributing to anything. So I couldn't be like, he's lying. <laughs> We're really not like this. And obviously the shame and everything that goes way deeper with my, how I felt. So I just let it continue. And it always bugged me though. It just always bugged me how I just felt like I wasn't being genuine and authentic and not myself. And I was just, I would go with him to these places and have to like listen to these lies and or schmoozing people and making everything seem so much better than it was. And it was just always, it was just always a mind fuck, honestly, to me. We fought a lot. I mean, he has, I think I said, like a very short fuse and I never know what's going to set him off. And then, you know, combine that with me not being good at confrontation. It was just, it was just huge blowouts at all times. So we got in a huge fight on Valentine's Day. I think I, it was the morning of and he was heading out the door. And I think I just said something very, very minimal of like, okay, but just don't dilly dally. That was what I said. And that somehow turned into a huge fight of like, you think I just dilly dally or don't do shit all day long. And I just go to work and don't work hard. And he always had to like remind me of like everything he's doing and and done for us. And I was just like, I don't really know how that turned into a huge fight for me saying that. But I just remember we ignored each other all day long. I had made him, I'm a very generous gift giver, like very sentimental. And I'd put together this huge gift basket, you know, that I had personalized things and ordered stuff online that I had made. And I put it in this basket. I just remember like shoving it in his face, being like, here you go. And like him leaving, like leaving out the door. And I was just like in the worst mood is Valentine's day. Of course, we're getting into another fight because every big thing that's happening, something, something bigger has to happen, you know, and ruin it. So he leaves for the day and then I, he comes home and I'm laying in the bed and he sits down next to me and just gives me these diamond earrings. I was like, I just, just not even being excited. I was like, thanks. And it just like, was like, just not exciting. And I don't know if maybe the reason for the fight was his, his plans that day were to go get me a gift. And maybe I ticked him off by saying, don't dilly dally, or I don't know, or he went and got them because we had a fight. I have no idea, but he just thought he could just, that's his thing is he just would try to make up for things with things or buying me stuff. Um, not, I mean, that was actually the first time he could, but like still later on in our relationship, that's how it was. So then we went on, we actually got another pretty, pretty significant investment in February. Things seem to be going good with the business. You know, every, every week or so we're entering our way up more and more. And so we actually had a ski trip planned in February. So we went on that and it was fun. It was a good getaway. I was like, it's like the first trip that we could actually take that was where we didn't have to budget or anything like that. So we went on this really amazing trip, but we did have another big blowout there. I mean, again, it was just, I had said something very minimal. We were out skiing and we come back and, you know, there's bands playing and like the little restaurants and pubs and hotels. So we're just sitting there having drinks. And the only thing I remember it being about was like his appearance. Like he, it was his his birthday week. And so he had been eating and drinking a lot. And so obviously he's a little bit fluffier or heavier. And I think I just said something about it. Like, Oh yeah. Like something silly, like packing on the pounds there, bud, or whatever. 
Yeah, it was just like the most stupidest thing. And that turned into a huge fight where we are in the hotel room and I am I am screaming at the top of my lungs. Like I am so surprised no one came knocking on the door because it turned into, you know, name calling and him saying just things about my family that really triggered me, you know, saying I was going to end up in a mental hospital like my mom and and my dad and all this stuff. So that triggered me. I blew up. I got so angry, slamming doors, you know, yelling. He was trying to calm me down by like going behind me and like squeezing me from behind, you know, like my arms are really held in tight and I'm just like yelling, like, let me go, like, let me go. And we just, I don't even know how long it went on, but it was, it was horrible. It was a horrible fight. So much so that we didn't even spend the next two nights sleeping in the same bed. Like I didn't want to be around him. Oh my gosh. I mean, were you scared of him in those moments where you're freaking out because he's already hurt you once, you know, that has to be crossing your mind. I mean, yeah, maybe subconsciously it was, it was like, I was scared or I don't know what, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't, didn't know what was, what could happen. And, and he's a big guy. He's just being such, a, yeah, just being such a dick and like just saying triggering things that he knows would get to me. And we're just like, all of this started over something so ridiculous. I just couldn't even believe that was happening. And that it, that's what it turned into. You couldn't say anything about him or it was all hell breaks loose. It wasn't, you couldn't pinpoint or pick out any weakness he had or maybe insecurity he had because he would freak out. Did you ever talk about the physical altercations that you guys had had? No, we never talked about it. Never. It never came up. No, I don't think so. You're just holding all of that inside, like all those emotions. Yeah, that was a traumatic event that I never processed. But at the time, I didn't know how to process those things or even be aware that I should be processing them. Because, I mean, my entire life up until this point is still, you know, you just you just sweep it under the rug and you make up and you move on. And that's life. And that's you just move on. But in, And at this time, I didn't process it. I didn't talk about it. I didn't let it out until... You know, I obviously now I have, um, but it wasn't until years later, but up until, you know, six months later after it happened in February had not been talked about. So, well, I didn't know about that till the very end. So you kept that in the whole time and you had plenty of Uh opportunities to tell me and you never, ever cracked. Nope, I never did. Never again. Am I going to let that happen? I mean, honestly, that's the first time I even let it happen or I've even been in that situation. I've never been with someone that has ever done that to me or even come close. You know, I felt like I didn't have a voice or say in anything. And, you know, my mistake was at the beginning, letting him think he could do that to me because I allowed it instead of, you know, all the times where I didn't have to sell my car or move in with him. I allowed that. So of course, He's in a position where he has the power and he has the control and I'm stuck in anything that he does, he can get away with because where am I going to go? Like he knows that he's taking care of me. He knows all the right things to say. And even, even the same trip after that altercation happened, which again, maybe he was trying to make up for it or think it's okay, but he bought my plane ticket to come see you to London that same trip on our ski trip. We got into a fight. That's emotional, so, again, emotional manipulation. You guys get in a massive fight and you want to leave him or you're starting to think that. And what does he do? 
He buys you a plane ticket to come see the person you love the most. <laughs> right. Like, I love that you were coming, but I, I always knew that it was like he was he could use it against you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was always, well, look what I can do for you. I just bought you this plane ticket to go next month. You can't do that. So it was like he always wanted me to have to need him. You know, that was in March. I went to see you in London and I was in a little bit better spirits because I think, you know, okay, I just went, I'm getting to travel more, which I've always, you know, I love to travel. And so I'm getting to travel more. We had a little bit more money in the bank. I wasn't as tight or moody about that. And so I got to, you know, come to, come to London to see you. We had such a great time. And that trip wasn't as bad. I was still very concerned about you. Between when I met him for the first time, then when he came to the wedding in France and just kind of, I just, you guys moving into a hotel, like I was just worried about you and I was confused with the situation. This was March and you guys were still living in the hotel. You know, this doesn't make sense. And I think that was my red flag from day one. As I said, you know, story he listed for his life and everything that he has going for him and living in a hotel, it just doesn't match. And I just couldn't get over it. So I was asking you tons of questions about your life, about your plans, just really trying to figure out any kind of clue that would let me know what was happening. And unfortunately, girlfriend, you put up a real good wall. I felt like either I'm being a bad friend and I'm I'm 100% have this completely wrong and he's treating her wonderful and she's happy or she's being silenced and she's not telling me what's actually happening. And I know that there's no way for me to know. Yeah, I was definitely trying to put put up a good front. And, you know, we were going around. I was like buying him gifts, like not buying myself anything. I was going around trying to make sure that I brought him home something that would make him happy. And yeah, like you said, we just, I wasn't there very long, but you know, we still had a great time and, and all that. And I remember you buying him a card and you hand wrote a note. I'm sure you were later disgusted with. And actually it's making me nauseous right now thinking about it, actually. Um, there was this card that we saw in this store and it was said, you know, first class only and had a little blonde chick on it with a suitcase. And I was like, well, that's Kayla. So, um, you know, I bought it and I wrote him a note just saying, I was very careful to put like the words in the card that I put. So I didn't say, thank you for letting Kayla come or thank you for buying her. I didn't say anything like that because it felt like that gave him power. And it was like me acknowledging that he did this for me and for her. So I wanted to just, I think I just kept it brief. Like, you know, Kayla and I had such a great time looking forward to catching up with you in California and making new memories and getting to know you better. I think that was the general message of, of the card that I wrote because I wanted to be very careful to not say thank you for buying you something or for letting us have this time. Cause I just wanted to give right. him letting, letting, word. Yeah. letting, yeah, allowing. And I wanted to be very clear that I was not acknowledging that within him. My my biggest thing is I want my very best friend to obviously approve, but like to feel like they are just as much friends as 
you know, as close as we all are. And if your friends are just not approving or not agree with you, you know, that's, that's something to be cautious of and to be aware of. And maybe you should take a step back out of your own perspective and just, yeah, like make sure you guys talk about it. It's, it's a very important thing. If you have a best friend that knows you just as much as anyone else, or I'm sorry, like just as well as you know yourself, you should be listening to them. Absolutely. And that's maybe what I should have done. Maybe I should have voiced my concerns more. Yeah. You know, again, I was trying to walk this fine line between being like getting to the bottom of actually what was happening, but not crossing that line to where you would shut me off and not tell me anything. Yeah. The fact that there wasn't any like, oh my God, I'm so excited for you. This is amazing. It was never like that with anyone I told. It was always questioning and but I think in a way, and I think, you know, I think subconsciously I knew just, I was just not even really saying anything. I'd have to, you know, and obviously have to tell people the bigger milestone things. Like, of course, I'm going to tell you that I'm moving in with someone or I'm selling my car and stuff like that. But yeah, I held a lot of stuff in and I just didn't share a lot of things with anyone because I just knew it wasn't the best situation. And See if you should be excited for things like that to be happening to your friend when there was none of that going on. So after that, you went back home. Nothing had really changed. We're still, still working on the business. I have no job. Um, he's just we're doing the business together. You know, I am contributing a lot of my time to that and supporting him. But, um, and I think I was actually doing, you know, a little bit of online training too at the time, but that's all just going, it's not very much money and it's just kind of going towards things that I want or, you know, we're sharing that as well, or we know we're still in the hotel. So we're still not in the clear and we're still not, you know, on top of a lot of things. It was like, you know, every couple of weeks or every month it was like, okay, can we get out now? Can we get out now? And it was always just, nope you know, not stable or consistent enough to, to leave. We actually did get to move the business into an office space. So that felt at the time, very refreshing and very rewarding and like successful. So we move into there. We're subleasing just part of an office space where there's other businesses in this office space. And got some stuff going in there. You know, everyone that had started this business is the only ones working, you know, still doing everything ourselves. I will say like my emotions were so measured by what was happening with this business. Like if the business, something was going wrong, I was in a horrible mood. And if it was going good, I was, I was happy. So at this point in my life, everything was controlled. My emotions were controlled by outside sources. Pretty much. I was not in complete control of my feelings or emotions, or I could never be like, it's okay. It's all going to be okay. No matter what happens, you know, I'm just not at that point. It was like, all right, if something bad is going on, I'm just be prepared that I'm not going to be in a good mood. (laughs) That's also probably because that's how Mr. Wannabe's attitude was as well. If the business was doing well, then he was happy, which would make you happy because he wouldn't be freaking out on you. Yeah, exactly. Underlying. Didn't really see that in, at the forefront at the time, but looking back, 
yeah, obviously just those underlying emotions that are suppressed down there. And we're taking stress that has nothing to do with our relationship out on each other. Also in May, a very pivotal moment in my life was starting therapy. The therapist that I was going to was actually Mr. Wannabe's previous therapist that he had had for four years, not four years leading up to meeting me, but I think there was a period of time, maybe like two or three years before meeting me. Like that was where it's his, has his four years had stopped, but he had already gone through her and he highly recommended her and kind of explained to me what she does and everything. So yeah, I was finally able to have enough money to even go to therapy before that, there was no way I could have afforded her. So I got to go, I started to go and that is, I mean, there's other pivotal moments in my journey where everything changed, but this one was obviously probably the very first one. She was awesome. I mean, looking back the first, you know, the first couple of times you're going to have so much mental resistance to going to therapy. And she obviously was trying to unpack my entire life, which was very difficult to do. It was a lot of resistance. It was a lot of her having to peel back my layers. I didn't just go in there and just start talking. She was having to ask me a lot of questions. She wanted to deep dive into my family history, a deep dive into my sexual history, kind of just getting as much information as she could to find out who I currently was at that point and what had happened to me up until that point to be like, okay, this is who you currently are from these situations, these experiences, these family histories, stuff like that. So God, it was so hard at first. I mean, every, I I went every week and every day I left there for probably 24 hours. I was like, just in a very, uh, kind of sad, depressed mood because of just the, how emotionally exhausting it was for 50 minutes of the day. Yeah. I mean, you're bringing up all of the things that you have repressed and you're bringing up things that you've never told anybody right. in your whole life. Yeah. Yeah. And then she would send me home. Not, I don't think she really did at first, but after a couple of weeks, she definitely sent me home with homework, so to speak, and just the tools and practices that she wanted me to start implementing, which I had never done in my entire life, which is also a lot of mental resistance to that as well. It's not easy to just, okay, sure. I'll meditate every day and journal every day. And um, if I'm, if I'm triggered, I'll sit with my feelings and emotions and talk myself out of them. <laughs> like I've never done that before. So it was a lot of going back to her every week and just feeling like I kind of let her down because I would just have to say, well, you know, I did one journal entry or I did one 10 minute meditation or, you know, it was just very, very minimal. And obviously, she would still continue to work with me. She never put me down because of it or anything. But but yeah, so she is the one that introduced me to all of those self-tool practices. And the what my therapy was called was interactive body psychotherapy. So that, which if you're not familiar, and maybe you're becoming more familiar with it because I feel like it's getting way more mainstream, not this type of therapy, but it is where you work on inner child work you go back to your childhood and you relive really a lot of memories that you experience. Like there would be, I have very vivid memories of some instances. And so we would pick those and then you have to like kind of talk to yourself 
as your eight-year-old self or seven-year-old self in that moment and just kind of, you know, um, redirect that situation to a more positive one. And I can't really explain it, but it really, it really does work because, you know, the, who you currently are right now is just a compilation of all of those feelings and emotions and situations and things you witnessed and saw and kept reprogramming and looping in your mind over and over and over again. So if I, even just one little instance can reprogram in your mind forever. So if, when you can let that initial instance go and like forgive yourself or, you know, say it wasn't your fault or you didn't know any better, it really does change your current mentality, which is super crazy. So that honestly started my therapy journey. I I can definitely dive into it maybe more and expand on it. But to sum it up, I went to therapy for over a year, pretty much every week, unless I had to cancel for whatever reason. Um, So a lot of work was done in that year. And I owe my therapist literally my life. Um, I do remember though, like, for uh, many, many sessions, I would have to go in there and actually, and this was kind of to my advantage, is that she knew Mr. Wannabe. She knew how he was. She Every time I said something about him, she'd be like, yep, I know. I know. So there were many sessions where I'd have to go in there and just talk about a fight that we had or something that he did or the way he was acting towards me. And it was nice that she understood him. So it was kind of worked to my advantage to have her. And, you know, if instead of telling someone that someone completely just doesn't know at all, they could just be guessing, but she actually knew his behaviors and emotions and, you know, the way he lashed out. So there were several times that I had to text her and just be like, he did this and this is what's going on. And, you know, she had to talk me down and, um, and stuff like that. I have a text exchange. Should I read it? Yeah, of course. Oh my gosh. Is this between you and your therapist? Yeah. This was one of the things that I had texted her. It was 11.55 PM. <laughs> so she's responding to me that late. And I texted her and I said, Mr. Wannabe and I just got in a huge fight. You cannot get through to him in the least bit. And she said, just leave him alone kindly. Do you want to talk? And this fight, I don't remember, I don't remember how it happened, but I remember I was laying in bed and we were arguing and he just like told me to get out of the hotel room. And at that point I was so tired of like being like, no, I'm sorry. Or like, you know, saying I was sorry or whatever. So I was just like, okay, I got up. I packed a huge suitcase, I packed a backpack, and I got my dog, and I just left the room, and he was chasing me down the hallway saying, like, no, don't, no, stop, please don't go, and at this point, I, mentally, I was just like, I, I'm leaving, (laughs) I have to, I have to leave, so my text to her back was, he threw all of my stuff at, at the door, told me to get out, so I did, And of course he tried to stop me, but I left and I'm walking around outside with my dog in a backpack. I said, I just can't deal with him when he's like that. And he blames it all on me when I told him we shouldn't talk right now. Let's cool off. And he said, no, we are talking and getting it out. So apparently there was a fight, you know, and I was just like, hey, let's take a breather, which I'm pretty sure my therapist told me to do. (laughs) Like, 
you know, you need to just take a breather for 10, 20 minutes and then talk about it. And he demanded we talk about it right then and there when he's still on fumes and I'm, I don't know, probably avoiding or whatever. And she said, it's impossible when he gets fragmented, text him, say you're just walking around with a dog until he calms down. And I didn't text him. I walked around. I called a friend this night. She came and got me and I just kind of told her what happened. And I was just hanging out at her house for a little bit. And then she was like about to go to sleep. And I was like, well, I'm not going to stay here. So she took me back to where I was. And I just got, you know, had my key to the hotel, walked in and went to bed, I think, or something like that. So that was another. Oh, my God. Okay. Altercation. Uh, I like hate the thought of you walking around and doing all of that. Like, what the hell? Well, I didn't want to be. I was safer doing that than freaking being I know, but I just, I hate that I didn't know about it. Like, I like almost felt like guilty that I didn't know about it. I have best friend guilt. (laughs) You can keep things a secret, though. That's for sure. Yeah. I am a good secret keeper, but for a long time, I'm not like this hardly anymore. I, if I had a lot of shame or guilt about something, I would just hide it. I'm not going to like go around spreading hair, not my dirty laundry to people and then being like, like I said, just saying one thing, but then not doing anything about it. Yeah, no, I understand that too. At this point I was, I don't know, I guess, you know, things were better with the business. And so, like I said, my emotions, my mentality were like in parallel with the business and what it was doing. So I remember being a lot better with my physical fitness and health at that point because I felt better mentally. I was able to look better physically. I was going to the gym. I was being hardcore on my diet. So I actually ended up getting a couple of really good jobs in the month of June. I got a really solid job with Beachbody for a photo shoot for a couple of days and I was like on a promo for them. And then I had another photo shoot set up with a fitness apparel brand and the photographer we were using, I remember was very well known in the fitness industry. Like I had been following him for a long time. He's done pretty much every major fitness model. And when they told me who the, who the photographer was, you know, I did get excited. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Like I'll get, he'll get to see me and like make the connection. And like, that's a very good connection. So I did this photo shoot and it was all day And it was just kind of running later than I was expecting. And so Mr. Wannabe is at the hotel waiting for me. I think we might have had dinner plans or something. And it's running later than expected. And at that point, I'm just not strong enough to, like, I felt like I still had to, like, baby him. Like, sorry, babe, we're running late. Like, I'm sorry, you know. And instead of just being, hey, sorry, not my fault, you know, how it should be, where it's just like, this is not, I'm not in control. And I felt like he was very much like, where are you? Like, what's happening? And so I, you know, was talking to the photographer the whole time. We're like having good conversation. Just, it was just cool. I don't know. And so photo shoots wrapped. I'm done. I call an Uber and the Uber is not going to be there for like 10 or 15 minutes. Well, he gets in his car and he's like, do you want to ride? Because I guess he he had lived kind of close to me. And so the deal was he was like going to give me a ride to where he lives. And I could call an Uber from there. Um, just because we were already chatting and stuff. And so I just got this weird feeling like, oh, I feel guilty for getting a ride from this person, even though I shouldn't. But I decided I was like, sure. 
so I canceled my Uber. So I'm in the car talking to him. We're driving, you know, probably a 30 minute drive to where he lives. And then it's probably like another 10 minutes to where I live. And I just decided that I wasn't going to tell Mr. Wannabe he was giving me a ride home. I was just said, I just, cause I initially said an Uber was taking me home. So I just didn't change my story. I was like, I'm in the Uber. I'm on the way. <laughs> well, he, I don't know if he just has like a seventh, eighth sense, but he started acting super weird and was like calling me over and over and over. And I kept ignoring it. And I was like, why is he calling me so much? And I don't know if he just had the sense that I was, I don't know. I don't know why he was doing that. So then this photographer drops me off at Starbucks, which was close around his house. And he was like, oh, do you want something? And I was like, sure. <laughs> Even though my boyfriend is freaking blowing me up and I need to call him back, but I can't call him back when I'm around you. And I don't want to tell him, you know, again, a weird, I don't want to tell him, oh, my boyfriend's blowing me up. Why does not trust me or whatever? So we're in Starbucks waiting on our drinks, talking inside and He's still continuing to call me over. So I finally pick up and I'm like, Hey, I'm sorry. I'm at Starbucks. And I tried to give him as much truth as possible without lying, which I was at Starbucks. And he was like, what's taking you so long? And I was like, I don't know. Like uh, the Uber dropped me off here. I'm getting a Starbucks. And he just didn't believe me that I would make an Uber driver drop me off at a Starbucks. And I was like, sorry, I just really wanted Starbucks. So I'm at Starbucks. And that was my story. And I was sticking to it. <laughs> and so then I call another, I call my Uber and I just didn't tell him that I got a ride from the photographer to the Uber or to the Starbucks. So I Uber to the hotel. Well, I'm like, I don't know. He just was like, were you hanging out with so-and-so? And I was like, no, I was like, I got a ride to Starbucks. And then I got another ride, another Uber to the house. And then he kind of just seemed to drop it. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. Like what the deal? What is the deal? So obviously I did lie. I don't know why. Like, had I said, hey, I just felt like if I had said, hey, I'm getting a ride from a strange man that I just met and you don't know that all hell would have broken loose at that point. So I just didn't say anything. So he just kind of just dropped it. Well, the next day we kind of go about our day. And I later in the day, I think I had left my phone in the car and we were up at the hotel. And I think I had asked him to go get my phone. Well, he goes and gets my phone, comes back, and he wants to bring up the subject again. He wants to bring up last night, the whole ordeal. And he was like, so you didn't hang out with the photographer last night? And I was like, no. And he was like, show me your Uber receipts. <laughs> so oh my God, I'm like, no. And I just kind of went back and forth. And I was like, why? And he was like, just show me your Uber receipts if you're not lying. So obviously I was had already lied and I was lying. But so I had to, I showed him my Uber receipts and it showed that I had canceled the first Uber, but I had taken one from the Starbucks. And so then <sighs> You told him. Yeah. Then I was like, fine. I was like, he gave me a ride home. But like, just the fact that I felt like I couldn't even tell him that, like any normal person should be able to do that, but not whenever 
you think that you are going to get the wrath of <laughs> your boy. Oh, no, absolutely. I see why you lied. I absolutely see why you lied. But it's the fact, you know, that you had to lie. Yeah. But the fact that he uh, he just has this sense, and maybe it's because I have no idea, but he sensed it. Like, I was like, hey, I'm taking an Uber. I think that's even how I got to the photo shoot. So I didn't, you know, I don't know why he thought it would be so weird. But he just had this hunch and he was right because I was doing that. <laughs> but but I felt yeah, but like you weren't doing anything wrong. I, know, I definitely wasn't doing anything wrong, like at all. But to me, it felt wrong to get a ride from a man because that's the how our relationship was at the time. It was like, yeah, just under his thumb, under his pressure all the time. So when did you move out of the hotel? Oh, girl, we finally got to move out end of July of that year. So seven full months in this hotel room felt like an eternity, felt like it would never come to an end. And we finally got to wave to the front desk people, good riddance, (laughs) We had I bet they were happy to see your asses go too. Well, they actually like loved us because they saw our faces every freaking morning. I don't know. We were nice to them. So we finally got to move out. So still kind of in the same position, not financially. We were obviously way better off financially, but to, the process of getting a house was still very difficult because of our past. But we did finagle our way into this house somehow we had to pay a lot of money up front to secure you know like we were able to do that and we had to pay a lot of money up front I remember being like holy crap okay that's a lot of money but we have to prove that we can pay so here's you know here's the money so we got to move in all that was I mean that was just such a huge relief Here's Kayla's little sister, April, and her initial thoughts on meeting Mr. Wannabe. Once Kayla was out in California, she rarely came to Oklahoma. And when she did, her family had to be penciled in. She was always busy. We wanted to see her. And she's like, okay, I've got 23 minutes on Saturday at 1.20. And then I got to go somewhere else. Like, that's how we were kind of treated when she would come to Oklahoma city and that would really upset me at least. And, um, because we just never saw her and she just seemed, I, I want to blame California, but it's Mr. Wannabe. I mean, I just thought it was a California thing, but lo and behold, it's her relationship They came down and we met him at a nice steakhouse and my Mr. Wannabe 2.0 came with me and that should have been my, like a sign that Mr. Wannabe was a narcissist because my narcissist boyfriend did not like him from the beginning was trying to one-up him like Mr. Wannabe was buying bottles of wine. So my Mr. Wannabe bought a bottle of wine and it was disgusting because he couldn't afford the nicest one, but he did try to go like an expensive bottle and 
my Mr. Wannabe just couldn't get over the fact that his bottle of wine was not as good. I was getting anxiety because he was there because he would just always whisper in my ear something negative about Mr. Wannabe as he was talking. And I was so confused, but now I just see like he's trying all he can to get me to not like Mr. Wannabe because I kind of liked him when, when we were at the dinner. He can be quite charming. Yeah. He just seemed so intelligent, so smart. I mean, he had a dog with him. So of course I loved his dog. And if a, if a dog loves a man, you can usually trust that man, (laughs) but the entire dinner, it was the Mr. Wannabe show. It was he did all the talking and talked and talked and talked about himself. And, you know, he used big words and he used science to explain his little company he was coming up with. I did notice he did talk a lot about himself, but I was like, oh, he's just, he just wants us to get to know him. And of course he has this company and he brought all of us some treats from his company And, you know, we all were like, wow, this guy is really cool and like really famous and successful because he would obviously name drop people, celebrity names. And we were just like, wow, because we're from Oklahoma and we we don't experience this lifestyle ever. Um, But I remember looking across the table because I was on one corner and Kayla was across the table and at the other corner. I can specifically remember looking at her and she's got her um, elbow on the table. She's looking at him and she does not look happy. Like she looks miserable. All he did was talk. Yes. I saw how like she just seemed, I mean, I know she's heard all these stories a million times And that's what it looked like is that she just has heard the story over and over again. She's like, oh, here we go again. Here's the story. Mm -hmm. Looking back on it now, she knew she was probably not very happy in this relationship. But I will not forget that look on Kayla's face. If you suspect you're in an emotionally abusive relationship, talk to someone you trust outside of the relationship. No one else can decide, of course, what action is best for you, but recognizing feelings and talking about them with a trusted friend, therapist, or counselor is something I would highly recommend. There are hotlines open 24 hours a day where people are ready to answer the phone to talk to you. They can offer suggestions in real time. The National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233 is one such hotline offering 24-7 confidential support. You can also check out the resources at Stop Abuse for Everyone, which focuses on the needs of straight men, LGBTQIA+, teens, and elderly people who are facing domestic violence. Whether you use one of these services or lean on family and friends, remember... You are not alone, and help is always available. Please leave a five-star review to help spread awareness of this podcast. 
By sharing this podcast, you may help someone that you didn't even know needed help. 